which, is, which uh, says this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. I'd like you just to keep these verses in mind as I, as I talk this morning and as I get to the main part of my talk late, later. Particularly, we need to think about verse 17 there where it says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There's sometimes when it's, how, it's uh, useful to know a little bit about the, the meanings of the words that we're reading. And there are three different words for word in the New Testament. There's graphe, which is what you hold in your hands as the written word of God. There's logos, which is, the, which is Jesus. He is the word of God. And you read about that in John chapter 1. The word was with God, and the word is God, and the word has come to be with us. He brings the message of God to the world. In this case, in, in uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, we're talking about rhema. Rhema, the rhema word of God, and the rhema word of God is the now word of God. Now, I can illustrate that really easily for you, I hope. When you read your Bible, are there times when some words impact you more than others, even though you may have read those words many, many times? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah? That's when the now word of God is being quickened to you. And God speaks to us out of his word, doesn't he? There's a kind of historical nature to God's word, because he's reporting his story going through history. But there's also the fact that God actually speaks to us now. He, he highlights words to us. You know, many of us can speak of those kinds of things as we think about what God has asked us to do in our lives. There are callings on our, on our lives, and we can testify to God speaking to us out of verses in Scripture. Because Scripture is alive. It's not a dead book. It's an it's, it's it's living and active, and because it comes from heaven, doesn't it? It comes from the word, it comes from the mouth of God. Um, I, want, I, I love uh, the idea of creation, I love looking at creation, I love looking up at night, uh, looking at the stars and thinking, you know, God said, let there be light, that was in Genesis 1, and he's not said for it to stop yet. I understand that the universe is still expanding. Um, <laughs> When God says a thing, it just keeps going until it's fulfilled his purposes, doesn't it? If I get a bit excited this morning, uh, I'm not going to apologise for that, but feel free to be excited alongside me, you know. Um, I'm one of those guys who really likes new things. Not necessarily new gadgets. Uh, my dad's the gadget man in the family. Um, and I, I just like the idea of change. I'm one of these guys who's got a personality that says, if it's not broken... Let's break it and see what else we can do with this, uh, which is not always music in the, in the ears of my team. But, uh, but we do need to understand that God, is, God changes, doesn't he? Uh, he changes things around us. He doesn't change himself. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. But some things change. And I like trying new things. Now, there are some exceptions to that. I still don't want to jump off a bridge 
a perfectly reasonable bridge with a bungee rope attached to me. That is one thing I don't want to try that's new. Why would you want to do that if the bridge is a nice bridge and you're going to walk across it anyway? Anyway, that's a different thing. Um, but I do like to think about what is new. And what was new is what we see in the, in the New Testament. In Acts, particularly, we read about what is new. That whole thing is about what is new. And the interesting thing to me is that Acts seems to be reenacted day by day in the parts of the world that we're involved in, in the Arab world. We're seeing new churches planted. In the Middle East, for instance, 500 churches have been planted in the last six years. Some of those churches are going into, into Saudi Arabia. Interesting. So we see God doing new things. The word of God, though, is true at all times, in all places. But the interesting thing is that God's work, word works out in different ways, in different cultures and situations. Uh, Arab World Ministries traces its roots back to a lady called Lilius Trotter. Uh, and if you're interested in her life, there's a couple of DVDs at the back on sale, which, which are not specifically talking about her missionary life, but more about her life as an artist. She was a very, very um, talented artist. And she was told that she couldn't go on mission with many of the mission agencies that she approached she had a desire to go to Algeria, uh, but she was told that she was too ill, too unhealthy to go. So she went anyway and was there for 40 years. God knows different things, doesn't he, sometimes. But this is what she said as she approached the end of her life. I really find this inspiring. She says that the history of God is a constant succession of new things. The history of God is a constant succession of new things. She knew that things would change, that the way that she did things in the lifetime that she had in Algeria would be done differently by generations coming up behind her. And I think that's brilliant, that she had that kind of mindset that says, you know, we're not going to do things the same every generation or every decade or every five years. It's going to be different. The message is the same, but it will be brought differently. And she understood that, and I think that's amazing. And I think that there is evidence, tremendous evidence, to suggest that God does things differently and in different generations. And that's great, isn't it? Perhaps we can keep that in mind, if nothing else, this morning. In Joel 2.28 we read, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And the prophet Joel was, was writing some five or six hundred years before the day of Pentecost, but it was the day of Pentecost that he was talking about. He was talking about new things, things that hadn't happened before. He was one of the minor prophets, as we say, in the Old Testament. But he was bringing the word of God and prophesying well into the future about what God would do after Jesus had been raised from the dead and gone back to heaven. And this is where I want to talk about today. But we need to be thinking about our perspective as we think about the new things that God is doing. It amazes me that we as Christians do not look through the Bible at the world that we live in. And I'm not saying that's what you're doing, but it's what I observe happening. When people say to me this and that, Sometimes I think, well, if you just viewed the world through the Bible, 
the lens of Scripture, you might see things slightly differently. We've had difficult things, challenging things, like Brexit and the changes in the presidency in the US. You know what? God is not worried. He's not worried. This is not a surprise to him. He's not talking to Jesus saying, can you believe that happened? I never thought that the British people would do that. He isn't doing that. He's not anxious. He's not worried. He is in charge. That's what we need to remember. So our hope is in God who is unchangeable, fixed, and will be here long after these things have gone away. Our posture as we think about bringing the gospel to the world has to be from heaven to earth. Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everything that Jesus did on earth is a result of what he saw the Father doing in heaven. In John 5 verse 19 we read what Jesus said. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Our posture, our position, if you like, has to be the same. We drag things into this world by faith, in prayer. When Jesus says a thing to us, when we attempt the impossible, it's always happening, isn't it? The gospel is an impossible thing because it's a spiritual thing. It's only the Holy Spirit who can convict somebody of sin and lead them to himself. But he does that, doesn't he? Hallelujah to that. But it is spiritual. It's supernatural. And we can only do that supernatural thing by faith and by prayer through faith. So we interact. We have our part to play. It's a partnership. God, for his own infinite reasons, has said, I'm going to bring the gospel to the world through you. <laughs> and all you can say is, thank you very much. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because those that he calls, he resources. He anoints us for service. So our main passage today is in Acts chapter 10. So if you want to turn with me, I am actually reading out of the uh, ESV version so I apologise if it doesn't quite line up with what you have on the screen, but I hope you can follow along. So in Acts 10, verse 28, we read, and this is Peter speaking. He's speaking in the house of Cornelius. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or vis to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me, and Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your arms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa, and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. 
As for the word he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. We do not realise what we are reading when we read that. <laughs> I'm hoping I can just help you unpack that for you a bit. But the narrative that we have just read is prefaced by an encounter that Peter has with the Lord whilst he's at rest on the roof of the house he's staying in. We understand it's about noon. So Peter's hungry. Peter sees a vision of a sheet let down from heaven which contains all the creatures in under heaven that Peter, since he was a small boy, has been told you must never touch, never eat, never go near. They are unclean. And this happens three times. And Peter is encouraged to get up and kill and eat. And you can, we, we don't understand this, but... I suspect for me, not, I do apologise if I offend you here, but it's probably like me trying to attempt to eat black pudding. I, I don't really like that. But, but it, here is Peter, it's, more, it's worse than that for him. He's been told never ever to even go near these things. And we don't quite understand that, but Peter is absolutely balking at the opportunity. And Peter is then told by God, what God has made clean, do not call common or unclean. In other words, God is interested in us growing, but he's not always worried about our comfort. Because Peter is here receiving a rule change. <laughs> I am changing the game, Peter. I'm allowed to do that. I'm God. Sometimes it's good to be reminded of that, isn't it? Because sometimes we think we know how to do all of this. We know what we need to do next. In fact, I, I, there was one time I had a brilliant illustration. Now, I'm not a brilliant aficionado of American football, but I understand that if you are blocked as you are you know, going up the pitch with the ball, that it can be quite a shocking experience. And sometimes we go through life and we, we hear what God says and, he's, and we're following God, aren't we? We're following right behind God and we're keeping in step with God and we're doing everything he's telling us to do. And then we come to a situation we've seen before and we go, ah, I know how to do this. At which point, God turns round. 
and he blocks us. Have you ever been blocked by God? It's a, it's a fairly significant experience because God is, is quite big. <laughs> well, we have to understand, don't we, that we follow God, not the other way around. We follow him because he knows what we need to do. And here, Peter is having to understand that God is doing a different thing. Before Jesus left the earth to return to heaven, he said to his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them, and he tells them to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. After which, he says to them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, the dispersal of the gospel was underway. Things were going on, but maybe God decided they needed a kick up the backside. Sometimes we need the same, don't we? To get out of our comfort zone, to do the things that we need to do, because people are all around the world are growing up never, ever hearing about Jesus. Never hearing about Jesus. Peter's still thinking about what he's just seen when three guys turn up at his door looking for him, coming from Cornelius. And as I look at this story, I see the grace of God that helps Peter to prepare for what is about to happen. It may not have been the way we would have done it, you know, letting sheets down from heaven. I believe God does this, though, every time we're about to face something new. Something that's outside of our experience, but is inside his kingdom purposes for us. So my question is to you, how do you feel about new things? I've already said I'm a bit of a change junkie. But there are some times I just want to sit down quietly in the chair and do nothing. But God is unchangeable in his character. And you know, since the very moment that Adam and Eve turned away from him, he has been looking for a way to get back into relationship with all of his creation. And that is his entire primary uh, priority, above our comfort. Above us doing what we want to do, we need to be bending to his will because he wants to bring the gospel to the whole world. Doesn't he? How many of you glad that you follow Jesus Christ? Yeah? What about taking that to the rest of the world? I'm not saying that's what you necessarily have to do, but you do need to discern what you do have to do. What is God asking you to do? And here, Peter was being asked to go into a situation he'd never been in before, no one had ever been in before. So Peter has to be shocked out of his normal way of thinking. And Peter is made ready to go to the Gentiles, even though reluctantly. Look how he starts the, the speech to Cornelius. I'm not sure I would have said this. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with you. <laughs> that doesn't make you feel kind of welcome, does it? You know, Peter's saying, well, you know, you're actually unclean, but I'm here anyway. Uh, it's kind of a strange way of getting to know people, isn't it? But he does that. And Peter has to learn that God's ways are not our ways. His passion is for the lost, including causing the, early leader, the leader of the early church at that time some discomfort. Be aware that God will be, at times, making you uncomfortable. And that's all right. Just be open to what God wants to do. So Peter travels to Caesarea. 
And Peter interprets what has happened to him on the roof as he opens his discussion with those gathered at that house. Isn't it amazing that the people that God uses... Here's Cornelius, a a Roman soldier, a centurion in charge of at least a hundred people. And he is one who prays to God. He must have seen what was happening uh, amongst the Jews and wanted to do that himself. And he's so for God that God sends an angel to him. I don't know how many of you have been visited by angels. I can imagine that's quite an awesome experience. And here he says... I understand now that God shows no partiality. Remember what we talked about in Joel. His spirit will be poured out on the Jews. No, not only. On all flesh. On all flesh. And here is what's, it, here that is happening in actuality. Because as Peter speaks, and if you're wondering what to say to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, Peter, lovely, the way he sort of sets it out for us here in Acts 10. Here is a gospel presentation that we can use. But as he's doing that, the Holy Spirit falls on all of those people. And immediately, uh, Peter and the people who are with him, the circumcised believers will be thinking, this has happened to us. On the day of Pentecost, we were filled with the Holy Spirit. Exactly the same way. In other words, it was a confirmation that God was involved, that God was in the house and that God was going to do whatever he wanted by pouring out his spirit on all flesh as they believed in his son, the Lord Jesus. How amazing was that? In Ephesians 2, Paul explains it this way in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. You see, we don't understand the enmity that there was between Jews and Gentiles. But in those days, at the Temple Mount, there was a wall around the whole of the outside of that place that said to a Gentile, if you cross this wall, you will die. You have no access to God this way. That's why it's so significant that that when Jesus died, the very temple curtain was torn in two because the way was open. The way was open. We experience Jesus because of that. We experience Jesus because he's made a way and obliterated this dividing wall of hostility. There's neither Jew nor Gentile nor Greek nor male, nor female. We don't understand the significance of that, but it was huge in that day. And we give thanks for people like Peter, who was willing to step over and step through all that he had learnt to that point, for the sake of the gospel. What are you prepared to do to bring that to someone's attention? Here Paul shows that in his sacrificial act on the cross, Jesus Christ has broken down everything that gets in the way of our relationship with him. They are amazed, the people in that room, because they see God doing exactly the same thing as he did with us. Aren't you glad you said yes to Jesus? Aren't you glad that there is a relationship between you and him? Aren't you glad that when you did that, you took on the possibility of the impossible. It is possible. 
as we're seeing in the Muslim world now, right now, that man can come to Jesus. Even though for 1400 years they have ignored and rejected him. Who can say the way in which Jesus will bring people to himself? But the question will always be, is there someone to tell them? Perhaps like Peter, you have been somewhat reluctant to submit. I would hold my hands up. There have been days when I've said, mm, no thanks. <laughs> but there he keeps persisting, doesn't he? Gently, gently, sometimes not so gently. But for the sake of the gospel, Jesus is going to move us so that we can bring that gospel wherever it is. We live in times now where most of the world is coming to us. We have no excuse. And it's great to see so many different nations represented, isn't it? Around the throne of God, there will be every nation and tongue in the world. He will bring his gospel to the whole world, with us or without us. But wouldn't it be great if he did it through us? We can trust God, you know. He's never going to do anything that is not the best for us. But it will make us uncomfortable at times. Sometimes we need to change. And we only change when we're uncomfortable, don't we? That's the reality of life. You know, you don't stand up suddenly unless you're sitting on a tack, do you? But we need to change. We need to be willing. We need to be malleable enough so that God can use us. It doesn't matter whether we're nine or 90. We need to be open to what Jesus will do through us. That's how God will do it. He's going to pour out his Holy Spirit on all flesh. My prayer is that we will see millions and millions of Arabs and Muslims coming to Jesus. I believe it's possible. I believe the harvest field is great. Jesus says, doesn't he, the fields are white unto harvest. There isn't a problem with the harvest, but there may be a problem with those gathering it in. And he says to us, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers into the harvest field. Now, I don't know where your harvest field is, but just find out. If it's here, great. If it's overseas, great. Whatever it is, do it with all your strength. And God will be with you. What will your response to him be this morning? How will they hear, Paul says, unless someone tells them? There are many ways in which we can help people tell people. We can be witnesses here in our own locality, can't we? Such a rich history that Bradford has of that. We can be one of those who are telling people about Jesus in our lives, day by day, whatever we are doing, which is great. We can help send others overseas to where they have never heard the gospel. We can pray for them. I can't tell you how many times we are aware of people's prayer as we did work in India. If you've ever seen YouTube clips of people driving in India, you'll understand how important it is to pray for people who are driving around. But we just pray because we see the gospel of God going into places it's never been before. You may be one of a thousand people that we're looking for to support at £20 a month or so to see that work happen. We just want people to join with us. The story is amazing. I'd love you to be a part of it. And I know you're doing great things already here, which is really good to see. But whatever our response, and I would encourage you to make one this morning, let's make sure we're not in a place where we end up being an obstacle to the new work that God might be engaged in. Would you stand? I'd just like to pray for you.
And I'm just going to say to you, I don't know what God is saying into your heart. But it's only you, that's between you and God. And I just want to give you a minute or so just to respond to him quietly in your heart. If he's saying something to you, if he's put someone on your mind to talk to even, then just say, yeah, okay, I have no idea how I will do that. And I feel anxious about doing that or slightly scared, but I'm going to do it anyway with your strength. Because it's up to God what he wants to do in our lives because Jesus paid for our lives entirely. So just take a moment with him to respond. Father, I ask you to forgive us when we have been reluctant to do the things that you ask us to do. When we have perhaps looked for others to do it or just made excuses. But Lord, thank you that when we do step out in faith, when we respond, you do so much more than we could ask or imagine. We are amazed that you use us. And I want to pray, Lord, for every person here standing that, Lord, you would use them to be your witnesses in this place, in other places they go to, and around the world, Lord. Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you fill us? Will you enable us to bring the word of God to your people, to those that have not yet heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Thank you, Lord Jesus, that so many are responding in countries that have been so resistant to your word, and are coming to you in thousands and hundreds of thousands. And Lord, we pray for more. We pray that a fire will burn throughout those places as they understand that you love them, Lord Jesus, and that you died for them. Lord, we stand here as witnesses to the very fact that we follow Jesus. Lord, I don't know how you will do it, I only know that when we surrender to you, you do amazing things through us. Things that we just couldn't even believe if you were to tell us. So I ask you, Lord, just for us to be able to take that next step and say, okay, Lord, I am yours. Whatever you want to do with me, please do it. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you and we thank you once again for the death of your son and for the resurrection that we have seen. In Jesus' name, amen.